Hey guys, Tony Palo here from Equipping for Life. I am here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to equip you. I'm here to coach you. I'm here to empower you. I'm here to teach you tactical tools to overcome. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and we'll see you guys around. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 6, 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, the five core values of an equipped church. The five core values of an equipped church. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip, everyone say equip, God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will all mature in the Lord. That's a good point right there, that we will all mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then verse 14, I love this. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. And we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Hello. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together, that's you and I, all together, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. I like that part. When you do your part, it helps someone else grow. And I know there's this teaching or this mantra that uh, is anti, I don't have to go to church, I'm a person of faith. I said, well, if you're a person of faith, you need to connect with the fellowship of the local saints. That's really important that we get this. And I've had too many people say, which is troublesome to me, I've had too many people say, since I stopped going to church, I've been closer to Christ. I'm like, well, that's really a lie of the enemy because there's nothing biblically that matches what you're just saying. According to this here, the body of Christ is the body of Christ that we stick together so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let's do a quick review from last week. Last week, threw out a couple of points. We threw out a Greek word, um, ekklesia which is one of the Greek words used in the New Testament. It was used 118 times in the New Testament. And it means people called out into the streets to really make an impact. And we use the, 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 the metaphor of a battleship versus a cruise ship. As much as I would love to go on a cruise again sometime in the very near future, a church is not a cruise ship. The church is a battleship. You don't come to be served. You come to serve. You come to take up a position. And, and I, we have to make an appointment to, to, to go in uh, Four River. Last time we went and saw all those really cool battleships. I said, we got to come back and just take a nice tour of the battleships. Some people treat going to church like a restaurant. God, Sony's going to feed me. I'm going to be good. But I got to say, and I've said this before, if Sunday morning is your only meal, you're going to starve. Just want to remind you, if this is all you get, you're not going to make it. There's got to be something throughout the week, every day. I'm not here to, I'm not here to spoon feed you airplane. 
I'm not here to do that. I'm here to equip you for the work of the ministry. And the illustration, the opportunities versus amenities. The, the battleship is filled with opportunities. The cruise ship is filled with what can we do to help make your stay more comfortable here? And then we talked, we looked up the word, which was really interesting, equipped in the original Greek. And it has a variety of meanings. Besides um, manning the fleet and repairing, restoring, to uh, prepare and to fill up, the word equip not only means giving you the tools, but the word equip in the original language has within itself, in its own nuance, it's a healing word. So not only are we going to give you the tools, but you're going to find wholeness and healing when you operate in your gifting. And this is what Hope was saying before. It was kind of a, a blended pathway of obedience. There's nothing that can make you more whole than doing what you're supposed to be doing. So many people are like, well, I'm just going to wait till I'm whole, and then I'm going to act. Nothing more powerful. And we are completely convinced that when you operate in obedience, you are also made whole and made uh, uh, amended in the power of Christ. So the equipping term really is it about an adjustment, giving you the tools. And, I mean, he, he, Ephesians 4.14 says it this way. It'll do three things. Immaturity will end. Somebody say, yes, we want that. Have you ever said, I can't believe this person is so immature. Immaturity will end. Two, we will not be easily shaken by trouble. Three, we will no longer believe the lies. They're all lies. Three things. Now, we just kind of formulate a mission statement, our vision statement as a church. It's important that if you're living and breathe, if you're breathing right now, you should have a vision statement for your own life. We help couples. My wife and I have a coaching ministry for marriages, and we help couple, uh, married couples uh, put together a vision statement for their marriage. Our vision statement for our marriage is we choose to be happy. We're going to make a determined effort to say everything's going to be lined up with jo the joy of the Lord. Okay? As a church, our mission statement is experience God equipping leaders, impacting community. Now, we have a vision statement for our family. Our vision statement for our family is clean your room. That's a good one, right? But have, if you're breathing right now, you know what I'm talking about? And chances are you already have one. You just haven't formed it in words. Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's it. He said, for three and a half years that I'm going to be on this earth, fulfilling the, I'm going to fulfill this mission. Ours is experiencing Christ, equipping leaders, impacting community. Now, one time about five years ago, it used to be experiencing God empowering leaders impact community and we changed it everything everything's in motion everything's growth right and we changed it because we said we got to do more than just empowering people empowering people says you got this equipping people is not only saying you got this but now giving you the tools to do what god has called you to do so that's our mantra now i'll be honest with you Every once in a while, i got to be careful now because every once in a while I'll follow, follow other churches. I'll see what they're doing, and I'm like, and I see the big stadiums. I'm like, man, he's got a sanctuary of 800 people. Man, I wish I could have that. You see what happens? The anointing is sabotaged on your life when you compare yourself to someone else. God created you to be you operating on the anointing that he custom tailored to be on you. Now, if you want to compare yourself to someone else, you sabotage the anointing. I wish I could sing like them. I wish I could preach like them. I wish I, wish I could have a sanctuary of 800 people. 
But that's not our calling. Our calling is when we get so full, we kick people out and we plant a church. <laughs> it's a too crowded. We have too many ministers of the gospel. Get them out there and let's plant another church. We have to, we must operate in our calling. I'm always, my brain, and Linda will attest to this, it's like, oh, this will make a good church. That'll make a good church. Every time we're in motion, even to trying to discuss as far as getting a bigger building, an opportunity comes to plant a church. We're like, okay, let's just, plant, let's just plant a church. So this is what you have to decide. You have to decide what has God called you to do. We have core values. There are five core values of an equipping church. And I put this together in the last two weeks. It's not out of a book. I didn't get it out of a manual. This is something that I just really struggled with through the Lord. And, and, and actually, there's one of them, and I'm going to share that one with you, that even this morning I said, no, that's wrong. <laughs> and I tweaked it like 6 o'clock this morning, and you're going to get this this morning. The five core values of an equipping church. The first one is, this is an important one, the most important one, I believe, discerning God's leading. We discern God's leading. Now, I know everyone here prays. I'm not talking about as far as your ability to pray. I'm talking about your ability to seek God. Now, unfortunately, those are separate in the word of God. Those are designed to be one of the same. But in the American church, our prayers have often turned into 911 prayers, stop the bleeding prayers, rescue prayers. And those prayers are okay. But after a while, you stop praying prayers like, God, please stop the bleeding. Then you begin praying prayers of God. God, what can I do now to help someone else stop the bleeding? So there's prayers of rescue or prayers of walking in the favor of the Lord. Now, nothing wrong with being rescued. We all need to be rescued. But it takes more energy to be rescued than it does to walk in the favor of the Lord. So after a while, we have to now transition from God, this drama. I can't take all this sideways distraction we plan out his purposes. After a while, we stop praying those 911 prayers, and we pray prayers that are within, in, in line with God's will for our lives. God's will, which is not an event. It's a lifestyle. I'm not talking about that five minutes you got in the morning with praying, praying to the Lord as you're brushing your teeth. Jesus, please, I just pray that today's I'm just free from anxiety, and I have a good day. Amen. I'm talking about those deep moments with the Lord. How do you know, how do you get to know someone truly? By spending time with them. So when you seek God and you seek God's leading, and, and uh, we model this here, even in different services, it's like, okay, God, this is what's happening. Where do we go next? This is what's happening right now. Should we sing this song again? Should I have Tanisha and the team get back up here again? I feel like there's someone suicidal. Should we address that? Do we wait? I feel like there's someone here that, and all of these things are constantly happening in my mind during this service. Lord, I feel like there's, there's someone here that's a, that's a witch that I feel like they come to distract our services. And that happened one time and then I called them out and the witch came and got saved. Like all of these things. Nothing like following the leading of what God is doing in your specific season. So if you, can if you can find what God is doing in your season, you can discern what he's doing, and guess what? You can be in step with the Spirit of God. This is what Paul says. You want to be led by the Spirit, keep in step but with the Spirit of God. Don't be out of step. If he's saying left, don't go right. If he's saying right, don't go left. This part here is so critical because when we get to this point of discerning what God is doing, then our plans... 
fulfill his purposes. I don't have to sidestep and go, man, man, God, I'm really confused. What do you want me to do? Okay, thanks. Get back in line. And then, wait, hold on a second. I need to fast for a month because I'm confused again and get back in. That's not how God operates. He's not an author of confusion. This is as we're moving, we're making God-planned, God-purposeful decisions in real time, in high definition, in 4K, that God's glory be revealed through your decisions because you discern God's leading. That is the first thing we want to do is help people discern God's leading for your life. Number two, we empower you to embrace your calling. Ephesians 4 says, everyone has a part in this. It's important. Everyone here. So if you're looking for a place to hide, we'll give you two weeks. <laughs> how, how long did we give you, Hope? A <laughs> couple, of, couple of months, maybe? But now we're going to give you two weeks. We used to give people two months. But God, Jesus is coming back soon. We ain't got two months. You know, hospitals now, they're like, they kick you out. After you have a surgery, get out. <laughs> it's time to start therapy right quick, right here. If you're looking just to kind of chill, I just need to hide. I've had a lot of church hurt, which is a very real thing. But so did the religious people sending, to Jesus, uh, sending Jesus to the cross. That was a very real thing. So we help you embrace your calling. We want to give you the tools to effectively impact your world. Now, we can't really say that we help you find your calling. But we can say is we put you in position to discover your calling. Ephesians 4.16 says, he makes the whole body fit together as each part does its work. It helps the others grow. You discover your calling not by being a hermit, not by staying home, not by watching the service behind a, a screen. And listen, you said, Pastor Tony, when the vaccine comes out, I'm going to get the vaccine and I'll be out. The vaccine is out, ladies and gentlemen. Now, some of y'all are waiting for the 15th booster of the 61th vaccination version to come out. You will not discover your purpose by being home. I got to tell you that. I won't discover your purpose for you. You got to do that. But we'll walk with you and we'll put you in, in, in positions. We'll put you in context. We'll put you in groups. We'll put you in groups of people. People that are not good because you like them, but people that are good for your character. Some of you are waiting. I'm going to try to just find a group because I need to fit I need to fit in. That's dangerous, man. Cuz now it's all centered around your preferences instead of centered around principles. It's important that we grasp this. He makes the whole body fit together. So your gifts are discovered in community. Join a small group. Take turn to your neighbor and say join a small group. Why are small groups important? A hand, you know it's a hand because it's connected to the arm through this joint called the wrist. You know that the arm is connected to the body. You know the body. You guys want to sing that song, right? Don't you want to sing that? The different parts of the body work in operation to accomplish one mission, and that is that the church may mature, not believe the lies, and prepare the world for the coming uh, Jesus. So how many of you right now in your mind, you say, you know what, I still haven't discovered my calling. I want you to raise your hand really high. Don't be ashamed. I haven't discovered my calling. Just raise your hand really, really high. All right? Now, this is what you do. You're going to write your vision statement. I want you to pay attention to what people are saying about you. If people say, you know what, you're really good at, 
you know, every time you come around me, you're good at, I was talking to Brother Jaylon, and he's like, yeah, I'm an encourager. I'm like, I could tell every time, every time I'm done, I say, every time I'm kind of feeling down, I go see Jaylon. Why? Because he's an encourager. Now, how did he, now, it would be really tough to encourage other people if he stayed home. It would, it would be really tough to encourage other people if he doesn't reach out, if he's not in small group, if he's not in men's Bible study, if he's not interacting with other people. It would really be difficult for you to find what God has called you to do if you're hiding. So put yourself out there. I'm not going to tell you what your calling is. You're going to discover that when you put yourself in motion. Number three, we practice and we promote discipleship. Small groups. Turn to your neighbor and say, join a small group. <laughs> Man, we got a million. No, not that many. How many? 17, 18? Uh, Momentum Resource Center. MomentumResourceCenter.com. That is our school of ministry. We have all kinds of courses coming up. We have a leadership course. Pastor Mike and I are teaching a leadership course through the book of Nehemiah in the month of October. <laughs> We have Michelle Newey. I don't know if she's here now, but she's she, uh, doing a six-week course on liturgical dance. Hello. How many of you are registered for liturgical dance? Raise your hand. Come on. Oh, Mike Willett is registered for liturgical dance, Mike. So when he graduates from that class, we're going to have a whole section for him. You don't want to get in his way. Discipleship. I'm not going to ask you if you're a Christian. I'm going to ask you if you're a disciple. In fact, the word Christian in the New Testament is used only two times. Discipleship in the New Testament is used 281 times. Let's talk about this now. In fact, Christian in the New Testament wasn't really used because it was a derogatory term when they would persecute the Christians. Nero used that term. Look at those. And literally, the term Christian. Man, look at those little Christs. Look at them again. Let's go persecute them. Use two times. Now, 78% of North Providence is Christian. That's a huge number. You know why? Because everybody has a mindset. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. That's great. Everybody's a Christian. Let's just get together and have a big Christian party. Christian is associated with, I believe that. Disciple is associated with, I behave like. Let's get this now. Everybody's a Christian. I'm not impressed. I want to know if you follow Christ with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your being. In fact, the word disciple, to help you guys, in your, your, for those of you who are Greek scholars, the word disciple in the original Greek is, put the word up, mathetes, which we get the English word, Get math. That's the Greek scholars. Good job. Any of you were good at math growing up? Daryl, were you good at math growing up? Raise your hand. I loved math. I, I was in, I, when I was uh, going for my bachelor's degree in architect, and, and I, was in, I was the only non-Asian student in my class. And they would all talk Mandarin and, and Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, and I always thought they would talk, because they, if they're pointing at me and laughing, they're talking about me. But I remember the whole process on the, remember blackboards? It started the math, oh, calculus, calculus three. Don't ask me to help you with algebra today. They have the whole problem laid out. It's a whole process that was 
that fully engaged you. And when you got to your final destination, it had to be correct. And if it wasn't correct, what did you have to do? Go back and find out what you did wrong along the way. Correct it with the power of the Holy Ghost. And then you come out with a different outcome. This is math right here. So really, disciple is really not a student, was more an apprentice. This is why Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Some people are going to have issues with God and Jesus, but they don't have issues with me. So you're Jesus. This is what Paul says. You're a living epistle read and seen by all men. This is a written epistle, but you are, my friend, men and women of God, are a living epistle. Jesus with skin on. So this is a whole process. Discipleship is about the training, not of the mind, just the mind, but of the heart and your soul. You are immersed in a holistic lifestyle of following Jesus. So you say the prayer here to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Great. But the Bible says to make disciples. We're, we're baptizing seven people today outside at 4 p.m. And, of course, we're going to have food because we can't do anything without food. If we ever have an event and don't have at least coffee, something's wrong. Food first? Hey, sign me up. I love that. That's a great food first and then baptize. So then, but the baptism can do they have to wait an hour after they eat because they can't go nowhere? So here's the deal. Number four, we create leaders. If you're a leader, if you're in leadership at this church, I want you to stand. Where are you? All around the building. All around the house. Okay. What do you know? Okay, so let me ask you a question. I'm just noticing this now. What do you notice about our leaders? Where are they sitting? We have Charles Ebram who's sitting in the back. But that's okay. And Carl, look at Carl. Is that more, is that frontish or backish? That's backish. So, you know what? We'll just blame Kiara. All right. That's, she don't like sitting in the front. Okay? So, I want you to notice where do leaders sit? Where do leaders lead? Oh, well, I'm a leader that leads from behind. That's nonsense, man. If you're leading from behind, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. And the key thing, you guys may be seated. And oh, a, 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 What do you call that guy who... Conductor. <laughs> the conductor doesn't play an instrument and you see the back of the conductor and anytime he sees one part of the one part of the orchestra not doing the right thing he's like particularly looking at one person that maybe is just kind of not getting that note down the conductor doesn't play an instrument and the conductor actually doesn't know how to play an instrument but he knows sound. So we create leaders. Please, leaders, I want you to preach better than me. I want you to teach better than me. I want you to prophesy better than me. I want you to heal better than me. I want you to raise the dead better than me. Please, I want you to administrate something. Jesus said before he left the earth, he said, hey, guys, I got to go. You're going to do this better than I did. So please, I don't want to be the hero. I want the body of Christ to be the hero. So when Jesus was taking on the most important task that any one person can take on, and that is to die on the cross, he chose 12 men. 
And out of the 12 men, he was close to three. Peter, James, and John. And he called John the Beloved, right, Pastor Donovan? And you know why he was called the Beloved? Because history tells us, the commentators say, in fact, you ever watch the, see the supper table, the Last Supper? John the Beloved always had this weird habit of putting his head on Jesus' shoulder. That's weird. Like, I know, I know it, and Mike, I know we're close, but don't ever do that. You all, you good? I'm good too. I'll hug you. Three second hug, three taps. You know the three taps mean, right? I'm not gay, right? That's it. So never put your head on my shoulder and don't hug me for more than like a half of a quarter of a second. So Jesus picks out, <laughs> you dropped your book, Mike. <laughs> so focus, focus, focus. So where were we? Jesus picks out 12 men, and then he's close to three. And then when he feeds, when he does things like feed the 5,000, which was really more than 20,000 people, he says, to, he doesn't address the 20,000 people. He addresses the 12 leaders. So I'm, I'm here to say, listen, the majority of my week, and I'm thankful and I'm blessed that the majority of my week is spent with every single one of these people that stood up. And guess what? Every single one of these leaders have my cell phone number. Hey, Pastor, can I have your cell number? No. Why? Oh, I want to call you. Why? And I give him the church cell number, and then Melissa answers, Pastor Tony? And I'm not here to, oh, oh, you're not. You're, this is, people say Pastor Tony has his favorites. You know what my favorites are? My favorites are the faithful. Jesus didn't have favorites, but he had those he favored more than others. How is it that some walked in the supernatural and others didn't? How is it that Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved and Judas hung himself? How? We read about Peter being close to Jesus, but Judas not, and they both betrayed him. He picked 12 people to reach the masses. Why do you think Moses' father-in-law said, listen, this is too much, man. You got 750,000 people. You need leaders. Assign some leaders to work over the groups. So when the disciples said, Jesus, feed them, Jesus said, no, you feed them. So we create leaders. Why? Because we like photocopying what God has done in our lives. So Jesus doesn't just save you from your depression, anxiety, and your suicidal ways. He does that so that you can now help someone else. We create leaders. So please, somebody, do something better than me. And this is why I surround myself with people. First of all, when you build leaders, never be in a room where you're the smartest person. If you constantly find yourself in rooms that you are the smartest person, change your rooms. I know to some people it's like, yeah, I'm the smartest person in the room. No. Please set yourself up for greatness by surrounding yourself with people who have gifts that you're weak in. And this is why we have a, an amazing staff. We have an amazing staff because I have amazing weaknesses. I'm like, I'm not good at this. Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike, when, we, when I hired Pastor Mike, I was looking for an associate pastor, and I had this mo notion in my head. I says, I want, I want somebody like me <laughs> as an associate pastor. And my mentor said, no. I said, why not? He's a brilliant idea. He's no. Your church can't handle another Tony Palo. I'm like, why not? They'd be blessed if they had two. 
And they said, Tony, he says, you, I remember we sat in an in a re Italian restaurant in Boston. He says, you're like this. Pastor Anthony, I hear you laughing. And when I take my meds, I may do a little better. <laughs> Don't make jokes like that. They're laughing. And he said, you need somebody that does this. And Pastor Mike is that. Steady. We're all staff meetings. We're telling jokes. We're all laughing. I'm practicing some of my material. And then Pastor Mike says, okay, guys, listen, rope in and Pastor Tony. I'm like, come on, Pastor Mike. You want to be fun. So I, I'm the one that says, hey, let's, let's plant a church on the moon. And Pastor Mike says, well, let's, let me research that, see if that's possible. Hey, is this possible? He says, well, let me research. Because he's good in things that I'm not. So one day he asked me when he first started working, he goes, Pastor Tony, how do you want me to make decisions? Do you want me to make decisions like me or like you? Guess what I said? Like me. But I said, but, but then I said, but. Because I know when I give you something, these are what you, the people you surround yourself with, right? Don't be threatened by other people. If you're threatened by somebody around you, that says more about you than them. So I said, Pastor Mike, make decisions like me, but filter them through your heart and your gifts and your talent. Because we want what you got filtered through what I got. And two heads together, two different kinds of people like us together is going to do things. That's the whole thing. If you want, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with someone else. That's it. So, yeah, we talk about goals and projects, but we like people and relationships. This is not authoritarian thing. Everybody has to, dem I demand loyalty. I want loyalty to the body. I want loyalty to the body of Christ. The energy I can accomplish by myself, but the synergy of everyone here working together. And when it comes time to put people in leadership, I'm not the one, I'm good. I'm not the one. I'm not the one saying, oh, let's, I, you know who would be a good leader? Uh, uh, Daryl. You know who would be a good leader? Uh, Colby. You know be, it's not me saying that. Guess who it is? It's the leaders saying, Pastor Tony, this person's a good. And the only question I ask is, are they tithing? <laughs> because you know them, their character and all that stuff. We, we want to know, right, Lynn? Treasurer. Lastly, so, so far, we have, we discern God's leading. We embrace the calling. We promote discipleship. We create leaders. And this is the last one that we're going to throw up, but I changed my mind about it. I'm going to explain to you. Yeah, again, you can still throw it up, Sarah. She's like, oops. We give you opportunities. And I thought, I don't know if we, I don't know if it's me saying, oh, here's an opportunity. And first of all, when we ask, hey, listen, when we say, listen, there's a need here. We need your help here. Don't say, yeah, I'll pray about it. God, Noah didn't have the option to pray before he built the ark. David didn't say, oh, let me pray about this first. It was an opportunity to show God's glory. So when I say we give you opportunities, I change my mind. Opportunities will come. If you have a hammer, you're going to find the nail. If you have a saw, you're going to find somebody, something to cut. And I know there's men in the house right now that you bought something from Home Depot and you still have it in your garage. You don't want your wife to see. Who's that? 
Oh, I see your hand. I see your hand. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God wants to help you today. No, God doesn't want to help you. You're good. Let him keep the saw. Everybody say to David, David, keep the saw. When you get home, open it up, bro. Recycle the cardboard. Take the warranty and find something to cut. See, I don't give you opportunities. We're not here saying, here you go, here you go, here you go. Your best tool for an opportunity is your changed life. When God delivers you from something, you're like, who can I talk to? Who can I talk to about what God did in my life? This is it. You, the opportunity is open. Brother called yesterday. He was out preaching in the streets with the men. I didn't tell him to do that. I didn't give him permission. When you have authority, you don't need permission. When you've been equipped and you're walking around with tools, find the project. We have Michelle teaching that class yesterday. I didn't tell her to do that. She didn't ask my permission. She came to Pastor Mike and says, Pastor Mike, I have a vision based on what God is doing in my life and I want to teach this dance class. Your best tool is your story. <laughs> Can't say that enough, man. Your best tool. How many of you, God has delivered you from something? At least one thing. What is that one thing? Can you shout it out? Depression. Alcohol. Smoking. Addiction. Drugs. Fear. Me. That's a big one. Come on, let's have some. I was expecting more. I was expecting the people to shout me out. Where did God deliver you from? Selfishness. Anxiety. Okay, now. Somebody got delivered from anxiety. How many of you struggle with anxiety? If it were me, I'd say, who was that lady that said that she got delivered? How did you do? If you're in a lunch meeting with your coworkers and they're talking about how they're bound by anxiety and you say, yeah, I used to have anxiety. I'm dropping my tuna fish sandwich to talk to her. I'm dropping everything. What did you do? I want to do exactly what you did. Because I want what you have. And then you get to, that's your tool. That's your opportunity. That's your open door. I don't have that opportunity. That's your open door. Whatever you were delivered from, guess what? That's your tool. That's your open door. Then you get to impact someone else. Now, I'm going to help you now. I'm going to help you understand something. You were delivered from something. Are you even sharing your story? There's people out there dying and going to hell, filled with suicide that don't have what you have. And we come to church. Amen. Pastor, good speech. And you go home. And that's it. And God delivered you Corinthians says it, right, Jalon? With the same comfort you've received, you're going to be able to release to someone else. So why is it people in our church are starting their own 501c3s, and podcasts, and YouTube, and preaching, preaching on the streets, and, and sharing the gospel, and preaching, and, and doing dance classes? Why are people doing that? 
because they need to get their lives. Well, I, I feel uncomfortable because I, I want to be humble. That's false humility. God has done something in your life. God delivered you. Who said fear? God delivered you from fear. How many of you struggle with fear? Oh, my gosh. Who said they got delivered from fear? Pastor Donovan got delivered from fear. Pastor Donovan, can you tell me how you did it? Can you tell me? And, and then guess what Pastor Donovan does? Talks about how he did it, but not how he did it, but how Jesus did it through his life. Oh, you know, I'm not really into this religion stuff. Oh, this ain't nothing about religion. Who got delivered from alcohol? Angelo, how many years have you been free from alcohol? 35! Please tell us! That's why he has a small group on, 12, on Thursday nights, a 12-step group. Wednesday nights. <laughs> Every Wednesday with his wife, 12-step group on Holy Spirit steroids. I want to know how you did it. What tools did you use? And then you open up your heart and you share what Christ has done in your life. So we're going to expand this a little further. I'm going to challenge some of you. Had a conversation with Chuck, who's also delivered from alcohol. Pastor Tony, I feel like I need to do something more. He preaches every once in a while. But what else do I do? I said, why don't you start a podcast? You know how much it costs to start a podcast? This much. Called Faith and Recovery. And he's on that, like clockwork, talking about how God helped them overcome alcohol. And people are subscribing. Guess what? When people say, hey, I have trouble with alcohol, I'm like, hey, you know Chuck Downs? Listen to his podcast. I said, Chuck, why don't you talk about you and your wife? Because you notice he's white and she's black. I don't know if you noticed that. I said, why don't you do something like just interracial marriages? And all of a sudden they're talking about faith and recovery and doing podcasts on how they, their early experiences became coming from two different cultures. Being a resource. You are the best resource to this world. Jesus said you will do greater things. So if he said that, I'm going to take that. And if it's not happening now, I'm not going to adjust my theology because it ain't happening. I'm going to adjust my mindset because I want it to happen. I don't adjust the word to match my lifestyle. I change my lifestyle to match the word. So some of you, I want to know, Pastor Donovan, can you start something to help people? Put it in three points, five points, how you overcame fear. How, can you guys... Those of you who deliver from addiction and anxiety, the world wants I, the world wants to know, Diane. The world wants to know. I'm not going to give you the opportunity. The opportunity is going to open the door. The Bible says that your gifts will open doors. What Christ has done in your life will open doors. Mike Giarusso is preaching Friday night at a local church here, bringing his own worship team. To preach. Why? Because his gift is the gift of healing. I don't have that gift. If you come to me with needing a healing for prayer, I say, where's Mike? Call him. If we need a plumber, I'm not going to call an electrician. I'm going to call a plumber. This is what Ephesians says. Again, you practice your gift so that others will grow. Opportunities. And this is why I'm building a church Christ is building a church, but I pastor a church that are filled with recruits, not draftees. Remember when I was 18 years old, Haley, 
and I had to fill out a selective service. Remember when you were 18, Pastor Donovan? Right, David Smith, those, those of us who are on the older-ish side, you had to go to the post office, Mike, right, and fill out a selective service. You remember, Grandpa? And they, if you didn't fill it out and there was a draft, they would come to your house and arrest you and force you to serve. And the last draft that they called was Vietnam. Vietnam War was the last draft. They don't really use that process anymore. But I remember filling it out at the post office saying, I hope I never get called. I'll give my information, but I hope I never get called. See, there's some people in the church that go, I'll show up, but please don't ask me to do anything. And then there's recruits. A recruit is somebody who says, I'm signing up, I'm volunteering, and I'm here to serve. What do you need me to do? Right, Jenny Paolino? All the way from California visiting us. Once you're a recruit, you say, whatever you need, Pastor. When you say that to me, I have this memory bank that I take that and I go, click. And I remember what you said. We're building a church of recruits, not draftees. Everyone here has a part. My role, my part, is to train you for the work of the ministry, to discern God's call, to embrace the call that God has on your life, to disciple you, to put you in positions of, of leadership so that when opportunities come, the opportunities will come, that door will open, and God will use you in very, 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 very powerful ways. We celebrate God's word on your life. Lord, thank you for your word that we take, that we take and we hide it in our hearts that we may not sin <laughs> against you. Thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for the mantle that you have placed on this church. That we equip people to change and impact their world and their life. Father, I pray that you would increase, I'm going to pray this over you, that you would increase the size of our leadership team. So they can grow in their gifting. So they can be held accountable. So they can discover their call. So they can refine what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're not here recruiting Christians. We're here creating disciples, making leaders. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict us. Move us in position. If you're not in a small group, go to restorationchurchri.com. Click the community link. Go to small groups. There's a small group for you. Download the app. Take our next course, our Nehemiah course on leadership in the, month of our, in the month of October. Go to MomentumResourceCenter.com. Download the app. Find something to do. Put yourself in a position. And if you're looking truly, if you're saying, you know what, I'm looking to find my calling, then you need to step out of yourself. When was the last time you did something for the very first time? Do something for the very first time. Watch God stretch you. Watch God move you. Watch God move you into position to do, thing, to do things that you have never, ever done. Behind me, you have a picture of about 42 men and women that have been, that attended this church, that have been equipped 
over the last 39 and a half years from this church since 1982-ish that are now in ministry, that are now um, in, in leadership positions impacting their world. Some of those people are still here. Most of them are gone. Like Emily Griswold is a missionary somewhere in a part of the world that really is, and she's working with a group of people that can't, we can't even really talk about. Pastor Eric Capelli, who was on staff at this church, who now pastors in Bristol, Connecticut, and he was a missionary. We have Pastor Wes Pennington, who's one of the pastors at Sacred Exchange Fellowship, one of our uh, church plants. We have um, we have Pastor John Tito, who's retired. He pastored one of our first church plants and now is living in Georgia, who one of our staff members, Pastor Dave, is now pastoring that uh, same church. We have Ser Sherry Casali, which she's a spiritual advisor at Brown University. Pastor Richard, who pastors Victory Assembly of God in Providence, Rhode Island. So many people coming from this church, and this is not a fad that I started. This started before I got here. This is the mantle on this church. Get involved. Get connected. Pastor Dave Schlappitz. He was on staff for 10 years as a youth pastor. About four years in, I said, Pastor Dave, I said, you're really good at this, man. You're an incredible preacher. Like every time I would go, he would preach incredible messages. Some people are like, Pastor, we love when he preaches. Can you have him preach when you're gone? I'm like, absolutely. See, there's no jealousy. I, this, is not my, this is not my gig. This is his. And so four years in, I said, Pastor Dave, you need to get out of here. I'm getting you out. Let's, let's plant you. Take some people. And he says, no, Pastor, God has called me here. And he transitioned from being a youth pastor to being an associate uh, uh, pastor. And then again, about eight years in, I said, Pastor Dave, I'm firing you. That's it. Get out. We'll send you with 20 people. You're really good. You're ready to pastor. He says, no, Pastor. Then he finally said, Pastor, God called me here to support you. I was like, okay. Ten years in, one of our church plants opened up, and I said, Pastor Dave, that's it. You're done. Get out. <laughs> we sent him his staff. Pastor Jared from this church. Stephanie, who's now his assistant from this church. Who's the uh, um, children's pastor? Pastor Alex, youth pastor, came from this church. This is, what this, this is what you guys do. This is the product of this church. This is the church that my wife and I decided, you know what, this is a good group of people. Let's get connected here. Connect to a small group. Let that be your homework assignment. Take the next course to Momentum Resource Center. Next Sunday is a small group. We're showcasing 17 small groups here. Next Sunday I'll be preaching a message on community. But I want you to get connected. Don't be that one. We'll give you two more weeks. I'll give you three weeks. Is that good? I'll give you three more weeks. After the third week, man, get connected. Find out why you're breathing. Find out why you Aren't you interested to find out why you're still breathing? Find out why you're still breathing. We'll help you get there. We'll help you position you for a place of obedience. In Jesus' name. Come on, Haley. Come on, Tanisha. Let's sing that song. Can you Let's stand. I give myself away.